Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning. So again, my name is BJ, and if you haven't met me yet, I am the youth pastor here at North Main Street Church of God, and since our pastoral staff was in, or a lot of our pastoral staff was in Guatemala, they came back, and I believe everyone got home safely, right? We have at least one representative here this morning, so we can give God glory and honor for uh, what, was, what happened in Guatemala and for bringing everybody home safe. It's amazing. So this morning, I get the opportunity to bring you the Word of God, and We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12, which is one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite passages. And if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard some of this before. And so we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see what what we can learn from it. So right off the bat, I might do this a little unorthodox, I'm going to give you the key point. All right, so the key point of everything that we have to talk about today, if you don't check out after I'm done. You do that all right? My kids, teenagers, you're not going to check out. I'm watching you. You're in the front row. Okay, so the key point for today's message is this. Authentic encouragement is an act of kindness driven by humility. So as we kick off the year 2023, we've been, every year we've been tackling one of the fruits of the Spirit, and kindness is the fruit of 2023. It's a really awesome one. It's an easy one. It's one that we can all get behind. And it's one that, quite frankly, the world can get behind. Just about anybody who's anybody will say, yes, kindness. We need more kindness in the world. So we've been breaking down what this word kindness means. And it's not just a noun. It's a verb. There's, there's an action to kindness. And today we're talking specifically about encouragement and how we are to encourage one another. And we see, again, authentic encouragement is an act of kindness driven by humility. To talk about this, to set this up, I wanna back up a bit, and we're gonna talk about some things specifically about Romans 12 and about the author. Who knows the author of the book of Romans? Anybody? Paul, good. I'm a teacher, so I like to have some engagement. This is good. So Paul, right? You know what Paul was called before he was Paul? Saul, good. Saul was a deplorable person. We talked about this in the youth group this past week. Called him the unredeemable. There was a movie that came out over Christmas, which I'm not going to give you know, a glowing endorsement and say you should go watch it. I'm just saying that it's a movie that's out. It's called Spirited. It was with Ryan Reynolds and uh, Will Ferrell. And it was about, it was basically a retelling of a Christmas story right, or A Christmas Carol with, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge and the whole, the whole deal. One of the big themes, the, the theme of the movie was redemption. And there was a question that was posed in the middle of this movie. It was like the big turning point of the movie. Is there a point of being unredeemable? Am I unredeemable? Am I so bad that there's nothing that could be done to ever show or prove that I have truly changed. 
Now, part of the, the issue with this story and this movie and therefore some of the things that we see in our culture is that it's trying to be solved by our, what will we do? Can I ever be good enough to be considered redeemed? Can I ever do enough good to make up for the bad that I have done? That was the theme of this movie. And here we have Paul, formerly known as Saul. And I'm going to give you the quick story of his conversion. Because Saul was by any definition an unredeemable. He was a disaster of a human. He was prideful. He was a Pharisee. And he was one of the up and coming, like best of the best. This dude, he lays out some of his pedigree in his letters. He had it going on. A Pharisee of Pharisees. If there was anyone who had the right to be proud of who he was, it was Paul or Saul. And he was so proud and he was so zealous for God that he was willing to go to the extent of persecuting the church. And not just persecuting by like making fun of them. I'm talking about murder, hatred towards Christians, towards people who followed the way, people who followed Jesus. Okay? And the first glimpse we get of this is in the book of Acts whenever we, we're introduced to a guy named Stephen who is one of the, the seven men who were chosen to, to serve the church to help the apostles. He was kind of an, a relatively unextraordinary man, but he loved Jesus and he preached boldly, so boldly that he became the first martyr for Jesus, the first one who was killed. He was stoned to death by the people for believing in Jesus. And the one who stood over his death and gave his thumbs up and approved of his death was Saul. And that began this massive persecution of the church. And Saul was one of the people who spearheaded this, we're going to take down this Christianity. We're going to take down the way. We're going to attack it. And he ravaged the church, the scriptures tell us. He ravaged Christians. And we get to this point in the story where he goes to the high priest and he's like, hey, I hear there's people who follow the way in Damascus. I need your permission to go to Damascus so that I can take them to jail. Which wasn't like go put them in a padded cell or make sure they have three rounded meals a day. It was to throw them into the pits, starve them, and they'll probably die in prison. He got permission from the high priest to go to Damascus to continue to ravage the church. And on the way to Damascus, a light from heaven broke through, blinded him. He fell to the ground, and with this voice booms from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He replies, Lord, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. It's interesting to me that Jesus says that you're persecuting him. He didn't, he didn't say, you're persecuting my people. He didn't say, you're persecuting others. He says, you're persecuting me. And for Paul, for Saul, this would have been an absolutely incredible moment for him because he would have realized, oh, the one that we just killed because he, he claimed to be God is risen. And if he's risen, that means that what he was saying is true. And if what he said was true, I just approved of killing God. And he doesn't come to faith in that moment. He's, he, this starts a, a couple of days' journey. He's blinded, and he won't eat or drink, and Ananias has to go to him, and 
he eventually comes to know Jesus and he gives his life to Christ. But in that moment, he has to reconcile with the fact that he thought he was right. And in his right, in being good, so he thought, he did deplorable things. And by any right was unredeemable. But we learn in that story, the story of Paul, Saul, who becomes Paul, that God is in the business of redeeming the unredeemable. See, Paul, or Saul, I keep screwing that up, sorry. Saul didn't do anything. He didn't earn it. If anything, he earned the opposite. He earned eternity away from Christ, but Christ decided, Jesus decided, that's my guy. I love him, and I want him to know me. And he saves him, he redeems him. And his life is completely transformed. He goes from being the primary persecutor of the church to being the primary voice of the church, specifically to the Gentiles. And he spreads the gospel throughout all of Asia and Europe, into, into Africa. He's, he's all over the place. And he writes most of the New Testament that we have now. God's in the business of redeeming the unredeemable. And what that means for us, what that means for you and me, is that guess what? We're no better than Paul. And we're no better than Saul. We talked again about this Thursday night. We have this tendency to look around us and say, well, I'm not that bad, am I? I'm not a murderer. I didn't, I've never cheered at somebody dying. I've never been as bad as my neighbor. I've never done this, that, or the other thing. So I'm good, right? The truth of the matter is, is that you and I are no better Scriptures tell us time and time again that we are no good on our own. And Paul writes and says, our, even our good deeds, the good things that you do, are about as good as a pile of dung. So the moment that we start to think that anyone else is unredeemable, we have to first remember, hold on a minute, I, BJ, was an unredeemable. But the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the gentleness of God, the mercy of God was to say, you, the unredeemable, you, the one who's so far gone, you, I love you. And I'm going to pay the price so that you can be in relationship with me and we can walk together. I can transform you. This is the gospel, in case you don't know it. We were lost, but by the goodness of Christ and the sacrifice he made on that cross, we were redeemed. And when we put our faith in him, we can walk free of sin and death no matter who we are. And I get fired up. And I think we should get fired up. And if we're not getting fired up by the gospel, I'm not trying to put you down. But this kind of stuff, guys, this church is everything. And some of you in this room have known about this for 50, 60, 70 years. You've heard the gospel, you know, when you were a child and you've been going to church your entire life. But guess what? We never graduate from this gospel. There's not the gospel and then everything else that we learn. It's the gospel. It's everything. And I get so excited about the gospel. Now, why am I getting so excited about the gospel when we're talking about authentic encouragement? 
So let's go ahead and read Romans 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Other translations say, in light of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, therefore, give your whole life as a living and holy sacrifice. In view of the gospel, this truth, this amazing truth that I was unredeemable and God redeemed me because he loved me so much that he didn't want to leave me where I was, that he wanted to pour himself out and pour himself into me that I might walk as a new creation. In light of that, give everything back. Live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our true worship. And this means everything. This doesn't just mean our physical bodies. It doesn't just mean our, our talents and our gifts. This means everything. And this is an idea that's not new to what Paul is writing. Back in Deuteronomy, we have what's called the Shema, where it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus reiterates this whenever he's giving the great commandment and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all encompassing. In light of the gospel, in light of God's kindness towards us, we give him everything. And here we have our first point, the first supporting point, which is this. It says, true kindness begins with God's kindness towards us. See, if we want true kindness to infiltrate our world, true love, agape, unconditional love, we have to first understand that we were given love and that the one who is the definition of love made it possible. See, we can't be good enough. You can't be kind enough. You can't be encouraging enough to transform anything can't do it enough to transform yourself and you can't transform somebody else. Truly. You can impact them, but you can't truly transform because transformation doesn't come from us. We can't hope to be able to love without first understanding God's unconditional love for, towards us. We love because he first loved us, we're told in 1 John. Remember, I was unredeemable, but I was redeemed. And if I was, if I was redeemed... If I'm loved by God, whew, then you must be too. <laughs> and this is where Paul then directs us to think differently. He then comes after our thought process. He says, that, first of all, in light of God's mercy, live your whole life as a living sacrifice to God. And then he says, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Some translations say, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by the transformation of your mind. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body that we are many parts of one body, 
and we'll all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. So first he says, in light of God's mercy, give your life as a full, full living sacrifice to God. And then he says, be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change your thinking. Because it's not about you. And then he starts to introduce this idea of humility. Okay, this, this concept of being humble, not thinking of ourselves higher than we ought to, but to being honest in our evaluation of ourselves, measuring ourselves by the faith God has given us. So here's an interesting concept that clashes with the world in so many ways. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Let's, let's talk about those patterns. Ready? You matter. How you feel is true. You have rights you deserve to be happy. You have a voice. You need to work hard to climb the ladder of success. You need to look or act a certain way to fit into society. You need to meet my standards. And even within the church, you need to act like us in order to fit in. These are patterns of the world. And there's a really significant common theme. You. The pattern of this world is that I am the center of my universe. My emotions, my feelings, my desires, my rights, I deserve. The pattern of this world puts man at the center of everything. And this is how we end up with relative truths. And this is how we end up with people caught in addiction. This is how we see... James 1, chapter 1, wow, that's good, good English. James 1, verse 14 through 16 says this, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. When we're at the center, temptation is driven by us. These desires then give birth to sin, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So, when man is at the center of everything, death follows. Period. And this is the pattern of this world. Man, I am at the center. Paul is imploring us to think differently. It's not about you. Don't think of yourselves higher than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measure yourself by the faith that God has given us. Now, this is not to say that the opposite is true, because here we have an idea that's called false humility. False humility means I'm nothing. And this idea of false humility leads us to say I'm worthless. I'm no good. I have no value. I have no worth. I have no reason to live. I have no reason to do anything. I will never be anything good. I'll never measure up. And even the Bible tells me this. 
The enemy can twist the words of Scripture to make you believe that you will never be good enough. And no, we're not the center of everything. And on my own, I'm no good. But I was unredeemable, and God decided that he loved me enough to redeem me. And so maybe I don't have any worth on my own, but guess what? My creator says I'm worth it. I have value in him and in him alone. And he made me a certain way with gifts and talents, and I can praise him in that and be confident in who he created me to be because he loves me and he gets all the glory. It's in there that we find this sweet spot of humility that says, you know what, on my own, no, I'm really nothing. But because of what God has done in my life, because of who God created in me, the, thi the things that he gave me, he calls me somebody. He calls me redeemed. He calls me worthy. He calls me beloved. He calls me son, daughter. Whew. Here we have our second point. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's seeing yourself the way God sees you. Notice the twist on the common phrase. You probably heard, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, which is a true statement, and I'm not diminishing that, but true godly humility is seeing yourself the way God sees you, through the lens of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, it changes everything. When a person is fully living out the truth of the gospel, knowing who they are, his kindness changes me, and then my perspective on everybody else changes. Again, I say, because if I was unredeemable, and yet God loved me enough to die on a cross that I might have life in him, then I know that I know that I know that that's true for you too. And when that's true, for everybody else, I'm no longer dealing with just another person. I'm dealing with somebody that God loves. A couple years ago, I had this, this analogy given to me, and it was really powerful. I'm talking about how we, how we view one another, and really it was, a, it was talking about how we view other people in the church. You know, it was, it was a book that was kind of talking about how we are so quick to be really critical of the church and really, you know, say, well, this is the way I want it and the pastor doesn't do it my way and this, that, and the other thing. And we start to almost hate each other, hate other Christians. And, and this analogy was basically, if you think about a parent, okay, we got a lot of parents in the room and my parents were, were great examples of this. I had friends who loved me so well when I grew up and still today, not, not just then, now. I have friends now that love me so well. I don't deserve my friends. And my parents don't know them very well. But my parents love my friends. Why? Because they love me well. When somebody treats me or one of my sisters very badly, wrongly, my parents aren't so keen on those people anymore. Whether or not they know them or not, why? Because the way you treat my child matters to me. How do you think the God of the universe feels about his beloved whenever you mistreat his loved ones? His desire is 
unity, his desire is love. And when you mistreat somebody that God created, somebody God loves, we're mistreating him. This is why Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's not that he was actually attacking Jesus. He wasn't the one who nailed him to the cross, but he's persecuting his people who are one with him. When we have this view, this correct view of who we are in Christ and how he views his creation, it changes the way we view other people. I know I read some of this already, but because I got caught up on the screen instead of my notes. I want to start back at verse 9 in Romans 12. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Other versions of scripture put it this way, outdo one another in honoring each other. It almost, it's almost like Paul is encouraging us to compete to love each other better. You know, we compete like siblings sometimes and we want to be better and, you know, there's that kind of competition. But when's the last time that you tried to be more honoring than your sister, than your brother? That's what Paul is calling us to out-honor one another. Seek to love each other so well that it's a competition to see who loves more. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. It's not about you. Never pay back evil with more evil. Doing, such, doing things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say that I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Isn't this sound countercultural to you? Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's easy whenever people love you, but when people don't love you, when people persecute you, when people hate you, when people are attacking you, and we, the culture will tell us, get what's yours. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You can do it. Stand up for yourselves. Defend yourselves. The scriptures say, feed them. Give them something to drink. Pray for them. Love them. Now, that's not to say that it, the Scripture is encouraging us to lay down like a doormat to get walked all over and be mistreated. We have plenty of grounds in Scripture to set up healthy boundaries and to put ourselves in situations where we're not in danger. But it's a hard issue. Because, again, even my worst enemies... Christ died for that person. 
Christ saw them as somebody who was worth paying the ultimate price for. So even if I think they're unredeemable, Jesus didn't. The last verse says, do not, evil, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, I want to caution this a little bit. Because what we can easily do when we look at Scripture, and there's multiple passages of Scripture that are like this, is we can start to say, okay, checklist. I'm going to go through the list here. Okay, I'm going to feed my enemies. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get into a competition with my brother to be more kind. Yes, and if I lose, it's I'm competitive, so I'm going to be kind. And, and we start to check things off the list. And then what, then what happens is we start to look at ourselves and go, hey, I'm checking the list off. Maybe I'm good. But what's that doing? Who's at the center of that? Paul's not saying, he's not contradicting himself and saying, be humble, be who God, you know, understand that there's the gospel, that God did it all, and then you've got to do all this other stuff. That's not what he's saying. And we take this idea of do what is good, but if you go back into Mark, the gospel of Mark, in verse 10, Jesus is confronted with somebody who calls Jesus good teacher. And Jesus replies, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Only the Father is good. Only God is good. And so if we're going to conquer evil by doing good, the only way possible is to have it be God because God is the only good in the universe. One of the biggest mistakes that we can followers make as followers of Christ is to pursue the checklist. Even when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. I said earlier, we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit. We're in year five been doing this for four years, and if you, if you don't know them, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, it's like a checklist. Okay, am I loving? Check. Am I joyful? Check. Am I patient? Check. Do I live at peace? Check. And oh, but I'm not so kind. I've got to work on that. I'm not saying that some self-evaluation isn't okay. We should evaluate ourselves, but when we pursue kindness, when we pursue faithfulness, when we pursue peace, we're missing the point. You cannot bring forth kindness on your own. It's a fruit of the Spirit. John 15, I know I'm jumping, a lot, jumping around Scripture a lot, but this is, just stick with me here. John 15, verse 5 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you'll produce fruit. What is the job of the branch? What is the job of the branch? Support. Bear fruit. You'd think so, right? But that's wrong. The job of the branch is not to bear fruit. The job of the branch is to stay connected to the vine. 
to hold on for dear life. If you think about a plant, right? This is a literal analogy that Jesus gives us. You've got the trunk, the vine. The branch comes off of it. When it falls off of the, the trunk, it's dead. It does nothing. It does not keep producing fruit. The producing fruit happens when it stays attached to the trunk and the nutrients are drawn from the ground through the trunk and sent into it. And then the fruit is produced through the nutrients that come from the trunk, from the roots, from the vine. Our job as Christians is not to do anything except for abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, when we hold on to the vine, the nutrients flow from Christ into us and through us and Fruit is a byproduct. We can't get this wrong. So many things happen wrong when we do this backwards. Abide in Christ, church. He's the center of everything. He is our Savior. He is the one who produces fruit in and through us, the Holy Spirit through us. And then, here's a fun little bit, who's that fruit for? Think of the tree. You've got the trunk, you've got the branch, and there's an apple. Who gets that apple? Not the, not the branch. That fruit's not for me. Oof. We love the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. I like it when I, when I receive those things, so maybe the fruit of the Spirit's for me. Who's at the center of the universe? Not you. <laughs> Producing fruit's not about us. We produce fruit, Christ produced fruit through us for others. For the church, for the non-believers, so that they might see that there's something different about us. And here we have point three. True encouragement is an extension of God's love through ourselves. So if we want to see that authentic encouragement that comes from kindness that is fueled by humility, we have to understand that this encouragement is an extension of God in us. It's the Holy Spirit in and through us. It's not you. You can't be good enough. You can't be encouraging enough. It's not your job. Your job, our job, my job, is to abide in Christ, to hold on to him completely, to offer myself as a living sacrifice to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, and his job is to work through me to produce the fruit that changes the world. So to recap, as our worship team comes forward, God's kindness is transformative. The gospel changes us because God is good. He is for us and we don't deserve it, but he does it anyway because God is in the business of redeeming the unredeemable and business is good. Amen? We need to understand how God sees us and live like we know that that gospel is true. And not only for me, but for everyone. And our focus is to remain on Jesus. The one who is good. And the one through whom the fruit of the Spirit is produced. This is how we overcome evil with good. 
This is how we see the world transformed. This is how we live in the growing darkness that surrounds us. Don't be conformed by it. Don't buy into the lies. Don't let the world drag you down. Abide in Christ. He will abide in you. Flee from the enemy. Love each other well. Encourage one another. Outdo one another in honor because of Christ's love for us. And we will start to see our church transformed. We'll start to see our families transformed. We'll start to see the world change little by little because of Christ's goodness in us. Father God, we just, we come before you this morning. We're so thankful for your word that is so powerful. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit is in the business of redeeming the unredeemable. Thank you for redeeming me. For calling me out of death and into life. God, spark a fire in this church. Not to do good because it's a checklist, but to love you and to abide in you and to be so on fire for you that the Holy Spirit radically transforms us into who you created us to be. That when we leave this place, that when we encounter the world, when we meet others, that we are so taken, so smitten by you and so overflowing with your spirit that your goodness can't help but just get everywhere. Help us to be fruit bearers. Thank you, God, so much for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.